Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, this is the 50th anniversary of our congregation, 50 years of gospel proclamation that we're going to be celebrating throughout the year. Something you'll learn more about next week. We're very excited. We're going to be launching what we're calling our Faith Courses 12 foundational classes that we want every member of our Father to go through at some point in their life, being a member here of this church, on the theology, on the Bible, on practical ways to live out your faith. You'll hear more about that next week. But today we're kicking off a multiple-week series looking at the very first book that the Apostle Paul penned through the Holy Spirit, the book of Galatians. So as you open that up, I want to encourage you to open it up, Galatians chapter 1. Before we get in too far, though, there's three things that you need to know about this book. It is a very unique book. I already mentioned it was the very first book written. That makes it unique. Paul has a, a certain kind of style in prose. Second of all, he's writing to multiple churches. If you look at the book of Romans, the book of First and Second Corinthians, he's writing to uh, a church in a singular town. And in those books... He talks about all kinds of different things. He talks about the nature of sin, the nature of grace. He talks about practical Christian living. But the book of Galatians is unique because he's addressing a series of churches. These are multiple churches in the province of Galatia, a Roman province. And he's singularly focused throughout all six chapters on one key issue. It was a doctrinal issue that rose up in the church called justification by faith. He spends six chapters talking about this super important, life-changing, and unique thing about Christianity. The gospel of Jesus Christ saves you and nothing else. That's what he's talking about. And lastly, this is unique because Paul, unlike all of his other letters, he offers no accolades, no affirmations to the Galatians. In many of his books, he praises people. He says, you know, you're so amazing. Your prayer life should be celebrated. Your generosity should be celebrated your faith through persecution. I'm so amazed at how you're able to withstand all the things that are coming your way. He says none of that in the book of Galatians. It reminds me uh, the way Paul used to write. I was a business major when I first started college, went to school uh, for business, and in one of my classes, business management, they taught you that at some point you're going to have to discipline an employee. You're going to have to tell them what's wrong with their performance, but you do it like this. You bring them in your office and you say, Here's something good that you're doing. You know, like, Harry, you're rocking those spreadsheets this week. We're so proud of you. Keep up the great work. And then you metaphorically punch them in the face with all the things that they're doing wrong. I wish that you wouldn't take an hour break. I wish you wouldn't do that. The Apostle Paul writes that way in all the other books except Romans. In the book of Romans, he gets straight down to business, and he is, at least in our culture today, very offensive. He's very bold. He's not afraid to point out what they're doing wrong, and how they're falling away from the core gospel. So with that introduction, open up your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Let's dive in. Paul, an apostle, not from men, through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now imagine being one of the ones who was teaching this false doctrine, sitting in church, and the guy gets up to do the reading, and all of a sudden Paul says, let you be accursed. And he doesn't stop there. He is so bold in this letter. Later on he says, that the Galatians are foolish for following this false doctrine. He gets even bolder, and he says of religious leaders, these false teachers who have crept in the church and were changing, distorting the gospel message, he says he wishes that they would just go ahead and emasculate themselves. A pleasant image for all of us here today, I am sure. Well, why is he so fired up? What is he getting at? And there's two things we're going to look at. Number one, we're going to look at what's at stake. You know, why is he acting this way? And then number two, why it matters to us. You and me sitting here today, the 21st century believer, why does it matter? And the key to understanding what's at stake is really in verse 6 and 7. Paul says this, again, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Let's pick up on that word, gospel, in the Greek, euangelion. It means good news. It means gospel, good news. And in Roman history, this word was used throughout antiquity. There's thousands of instances of this word being used in the Roman culture. So Christians hearing this, they would have known exactly what that meant. Uh, there's a famous inscription that talked about the birth of Caesar Augustus in the same area where Galatia is, Asia Minor, and it says, announcing the gospel, announcing the good news that Caesar Augustus has been born. And the Roman army used this as well. Anytime they had a victory, they would send a herald out. The herald's job was to go to any town he could and especially get the word back to the generals, get the word back to Caesar that the Romans were victorious, victorious, and they would say, we have gospel, good news, euangelion, the Roman army is victorious. This was used throughout antiquity, except in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word meant slightly different things. In antiquity, the Romans used it. It was always in the plural form of the noun, as in there's multiple avenues of good news. There's multiple good news that's coming your way. But Paul in this letter, this word right here, is in the singular form of the noun. And what he's saying, and it's a very bold claim, and this is what makes Christianity unique from all other religions in the entire world. Some of you might believe this in the room here today. Some of you might not. But what Paul is laying claim to is that there is only one singular, ultimate form of gospel of good news. There's only one. And it is this, that God of heaven came down to earth. He took on human flesh. All the sins of the world were nailed to the cross, nailed to Jesus. When he died, the sins of the world were buried in the ground with Jesus. When he rose again, he came up victorious. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And we are free of shame. And we are free of all the things that this world would put on us. It is the gospel. It is good news. And here's the point. It is free. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. It is a free gift from God to you. End of question. No matter what, that is gospel. Can I get an amen? amen? But these false teachers, these Galatian leaders, had twisted it. They've changed it. What they were saying is it's gospel of Jesus Christ and circumcision. It was Jesus and your good works. 
It was Jesus and following all these festivals and all these different things. And if you don't do those things, yes, we have Jesus. Jesus is great. We love Jesus. But if you don't do these things, you're not really saved. And the Galatian church, the, the, the Christians in the Galatian church, they followed it hook, line, and sinker. They, they ate it up. And they started from one church to the next to the next. And so what was at stake is that the gospel message itself was being risked, lost, being lost forever. It was changing the gospel. It was distorting the gospel. And that is why the Apostle Paul is so in our face and so in the Galatians' face because this is the key, paramount, absolute, number one, most important thing about the Christian faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what does that matter to us? You know, we live in a modern world. You probably have friends. Maybe some of you are wrestling with this yourself today. And the modern world says that, look, there's no such thing as ultimate truth. Truth is relative. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. So who are you to say that I can't pick and choose what I want to believe in in this world? That's one thing. And the second thing that we see so often in the world in which we live, and it's very easy to get sucked into this line of thinking, is that our values and our system of living in this world is based not on faith. Faith is kind of archaic. Faith is for weaker people. But we base our values, we base our systems on science. We base our systems on things that you can actually see in this world, empirical evidence that you can cling to. The Apostle Paul is challenging that today. In other writings of Paul, he actually says that every single person in the world has faith, whether they know it or not. Every single person in the world has faith, and here's an example of that. Uh, you may have seen in the news, uh, right now there's an active genocide going on in the country of Sudan in Africa. I saw a report on Thursday that just in one day, in one small region of Sudan, a thousand men, women, and children, young kids to elderly, were massacred by a different ethnic group. It's called ethnic cleansing. This one ethnic group believes that they have the right to the land and that this other ethnic group is ruining their country, ruining their land. So they're going in and systematically killing innocent men, women, and children just because they're a different race, just because they're a different people group. Now, regardless of what you believe, if you're a Christian here today, if you're not a Christian, if you would ask your everyday average secular person if they believe that the genocide, the ethnic cleansing of the people of Sudan was evil, they would unequivocally say, yes, that is evil. But Paul's arguing here that that's actually not based on empirical evidence. That's not based on something you can prove in science. You, you can't prove the value of a human being using any scientific method. That's actually a faith-based claim. In fact, that is a doctrine that you hold. You can't prove it scientifically. You can't prove it empirically. You have a doctrine. You have a core belief that ethnic cleansing is evil. At the very same time, that same person who you're speaking to would say that ethnic cleansing is evil. They would, on the other hand, say and could say that the killing of a baby in a womb is a moral good. That it's a moral good to end the life of a living being inside a womb. And they base that on not on science, you know, you can look at an ultrasound. Science tells you when a baby has a developed brain, when a baby has a developed heart, uh, lungs that can breathe. You kind of throw science out the door because you are making a doctrinal claim that it is a moral good to end the life of a baby inside a womb. And at the exact same time, a person could come over here and you hear about these genocides. Well, along with the ethnic cleansing, there is rape 
and there is incest happening uh, in Sudan, horrible, horrible things to women, and there are women who are faced with that situation because that happened to them, and we can unequivocally, we can say that is evil, that is wrong. But at the same time, we can, Christian, not Christian in the room, we can make our own rules for what human sexuality should look like and what I can do with my body sexually with whoever I want. And what, wherever you stand on the spectrum of all those things I talked about, wherever you stand, again, Christian in the room here tonight, not a Christian. What you're doing is not basing that on scientific evidence. You're not basing that on any sort of empirical evidence. You have created a doctrine, a system of belief of which you operate your worldview and which dictates the decisions that you make into this world. That's the heart of what Paul is getting us to think about a little bit more critically here today. Every single person has faith of some degree. But Paul is saying there is only one singular ultimate doctrine that can actually contribute to human flourishing. This is a bold claim. You can believe it. You cannot believe it. This is what Scripture says. There's only one absolute final doctrine in this world that brings freedom, of which you can base your decisions on, and which brings you into the kingdom of God's grace forever. And it's this doctrine of justification by grace what the Galatians were doing, what's so tempting for us to do in this modern world is to pick and choose what we want to believe in and really to fall back into what I would say is spiritual slavery. You know, if you're adding anything to Jesus, Jesus and my good works, Jesus and my prayer life, Jesus and coming to church, Jesus and doing all these good things, that is not the gospel. The gospel is a free gift. The gospel frees you from, from all those things that weigh down in your heart, that, that burden your conscience. The gospel is a free gift that says Jesus loves you, period. That's the gospel. And once we begin to understand the power of the gospel, once we begin to grasp just how much the gospel can, can change our hearts and change our minds, we can't help but want to live the way Jesus calls us to live. And, and Paul speaks about this. Again, let's look back at verse 6. He's really sharing what happens when you walk away from that freedom. He says this, this phrase, him who called you. Why are you so quickly deserting him who called you? Now, think about those of you who have children of your own, grandkids, if you're a teacher. You can call your child and ask them to do something, and they may or may not listen. I have a son, he's an awesome kid, his name is JJ, and I can yell at him across the back way, and I can say, JJ, come home for dinner. He may or may not show up. It could be 50 minutes later, it could be 20 minutes later. Now, if I open up the back door and I say, JJ, get your butt home, or I'm going to take away your video games. Wouldn't you know it, miracle of miracles, my son comes home. Hallelujah! Why? Because now there's power associated with the calling. Now granted, this is a threat, but this is why you get, when you get pulled over, you see the sirens behind you in your car, you pull over. This is why when you get the little card in the mail that says come to jury duty, you do it because there is power behind the calling. And what Paul is showing us today is that the most powerful calling on your life that you will re ever receive is to call and to live into the reign and the realm of grace. Jesus is inviting you to live into 
his realm of grace where grace dominates everything. Grace is on the menu 24-7. Grace is what you're going to find in the refrigerator. Grace dominates all of our thinking, all of our way of life. And when you live into that, you see it's so freeing to know without a shadow of a doubt what is right and what is wrong because we look at something outside of ourselves to know that no matter what you have done, and there again, I've said this last week, but I'll say it again. There are people in this room, you stay up at night and you worry about something that you have done and you cannot, you refuse to believe that Jesus has wiped your slate clean. The gospel says he has. It's over. It is buried in the ground. And Jesus is saying to you today, he's giving you an invitation. If you are racked with guilt, if you're having a hard time believing that Jesus has forgiven you, today you have a chance. You can put that at the feet of Jesus. And you can lay it there and you can walk away, not on your own power, but because Jesus has won for you forgiveness forever. And if you've been rejecting the calling that God has on your life, and you hear the gospel and you, and you brush it aside, you say, I, I don't know if I'm there yet. Jesus today is giving you an opportunity. Today could be the day when you finally receive this gift of grace that he's offering you and himself, and you can become a believer in Jesus Christ by nothing, you, can, you can't even put your hands around this grace. He's just putting it in your hands today. And we'll close with this. I don't like many new television shows. I'm kind of done with Netflix and HBO Max and all this stuff. It's getting just a little too crazy for me. So uh, for my entertainment enjoyment, I've been going back to the classic movies of our time. And I recently watched uh, Coming to America. I know, uh, one of the classics, right? But as I was watching this, do you know the story of this movie? It's an African prince who has incredible wealth. He's never worked a day in his life. People dress him, people bathe him. Every single thing that he does, he does nothing. He just enjoys the goodness of being a prince in this world. But then he has to get married. And there's going to be an arranged marriage, and he doesn't want to do that. So he goes to America. He gives up all of his wealth. He gives up his royal robes. He gives up his royal food. He lives in the most dingiest apartment in Queens, New York. He has to get a job. And spoiler alert, he goes and he finds his bride. As I'm watching that, I can't help but think that this is actually the gospel story retold in the form of a movie. Because think about Jesus, the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. He gave up his heavenly robes. He gave up his heavenly food. He gave up his heavenly comfort. Everything he gave away, he came down to heaven and he goes to the dingiest of cow towns, Nazareth, where he grows up and he does it in pursuit of his bride, the church. He was looking for you. He will stop at nothing until he wins you back into himself. He will stop at nothing. No matter how far you go, he's going to chase after you. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, we're going to be studying this book for the next several weeks. Your temptation might be to go, oh, Galatians, again. Don't do that. Let us together rest in this amazing, life-changing, incredible gospel message that you are loved eternally by the God of heaven. And it's in the name of Jesus we say, Amen.